first of all, thank you for the what appears to be at least a hundred questions. <laughs> there are about thirty or forty preaching weeks in a year, so we'll try and we'll, we'll get to quite a few of them. But. So what I have here is ten questions arranged in what I think is the order of a sermon. <laughs> and so we'll start out with the personal questions. How did your faith journey lead you here? How and why does a minister decide to become a minister? And I apologize if you've heard this story, but I haven't told it in a little while. So I want to start with it now. The uh, Methodist Church in would speak of having an internal call and an external call. That folks that go into this work are feel themselves called to it and they have other people saying you should do this work. So I thought I would go to seminary when I was 18 and, uh, and I went to my minister in Binghamton, New York and he said if you can do anything else with your life please do that. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> 
so our hymnal is a product of its time. And if you notice, as you look through, there are some hymns that we just don't sing. We just don't. And there's a reason for that. Um, but rather than going to what my least favorite hymn is, there, there is one hymn that I have a very complicated relationship with because we just sang it. Spirit of Life. It is a beautiful hymn. It is a hymn that most of us know by heart. It's a hymn that is sung, for me, it was sung in Unitarian Universalist Sunday School and Youth Groups when I was joined in Unitarian Universalist Church. And here's how it starts. Spirit of life, come unto me. It doesn't say come unto us. There's a, a strand of Unitarian Universalism that's, that's deeply individualistic, and, and I think most of the time that's a good thing. But when we talk about divinity, grace, the spirit, those are all relational things to me. None of that is simply about me and the spirit of life. That's about us working out our relationship with each other. So I have a really complicated relationship with that hymn because I know every word of it by heart. It is, it is deeply moving. But it keeps coming back to this individual individualism. Come unto me. I thought for a long time it was move in the land, giving life, life the shape of justice. It's move in the hand. Every time I sing it, I want to sing it to the other words. Move in the land. Because that is so much closer to what I think Living a loving, careless, living a loving, caring, selfless life, not based on fear of external damnation. So this church calls itself the Unitarian Church of Lincoln. But we are part of the Unitarian Universalist Association, the result of a merger of two faith traditions. And for myself, I, I really identify with that universalist side. And the Universalists said that it does not make sense, they would say, it's not scriptural, to have a all-powerful, all-loving God who punishes people eternally. You can't have those three things at the same time. It's, it's, a, it's a logical inconsistency. That if you can imagine So then the question the Universalist would pose is, are you more loving than God? So how do we live loving lives not based on fear of external punishment? For me, that's the authentic way of living a loving life. I want to do good in the world, not because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't but because it's intrinsically good. I want to help my neighbor, not because if I don't help my neighbor, I won't be rewarded, 
but because if I help my neighbor and my neighbor helps me, then we're both better off. You don't need the punishment set. I think that that's the both the universalist and the humanist side of our ethics is to say that we are enough in this room to develop a sense of morality. Being good in and of itself is a reward, and that is really hard to see sometimes in the world. But this is why it's a statement of faith. This is why we're not actually, this is why we're in a church saying it. It's because we say it despite what we see, despite what the world tells us. We say, no, doing good is still worthwhile. How do Unitarian Universalists, or should Unitarian Universalists proselytize? How do we get outside our walls and say, you know what, this is pretty cool. I am of the, the school that would say that absolutely, we should proselytize. That's not always been a comfortable thing in Unitarian Universalist churches. We're very comfortable staying within our walls and saying, you know what, we, we've got something really good for us. But for me, I think we have a message in these places. And it's that message that we can do good in the world. That people have inherent worth. That we are all interconnected. Those are important things. And we should be saying them out loud in public. Don't, we don't have a sense of damnation, so we're never going to go out and proselytize and say, join our church or you go to hell. That's just really not our <laughs> But what we can do, and, and what I do, is say, Unitarian Universalism can save lives. It can save lives. Folks come into our doors hurt, broken, sick. I was all three of those things at one point. And the message that you are loved, whoever you are, you are worthwhile, and that you and I are connected, that is a life-saving message. And that's not a message that I want us to just keep here in this room on Sunday mornings. We should be talking about it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So by all means, we'll talk about this more in the coming year. There's enough questions in there. We're going to talk about this one. <laughs> but just to start, it's worth, it's worth reaching out. How to come into this presence with rejoicing. I think, actually, that's covered by what I just said. This is a joyful faith. We don't talk about damnation. We talk at times about how we can do better. All right. We're just changing order on the fly at this point. <laughs> doing this. I have four more cards and try to figure out what order they come in. We do fall short. There's a, there's a question here about the UU Church and the Me Too movement. We are not as innocent as we might believe. 
what are we as a church doing to educate our targets? So we can talk more about, about the, the Me Too movement here in this church. Um, I will say that we have a safety plan. I will say that we've occasionally, and even in the last year, had cause to implement that safety plan. And so please come, come talk to me um, if, if, that is a, if that is a thing that we need to implement. I will say more broadly, we've had a, a conversation at the national youth level about this issue. Um, there is a, a history in our denomination, as in most denominations, of misconduct by religious professionals and by congregants. Um, and that's a part of our history that we have to reckon with. It's a part of our history where we have fallen short. So I can say on a practical level, the Ministers Association has updated its professional guidelines enormously in the last 20 years, and again in the last couple years. And it's an ongoing conversation. Um, colleagues of mine, Gail Seavey, um, who's in Tennessee, um, Deborah Pope Lance, who's in Boston, um, have been leading this, con this conversation nationally about how we can do better in our congregations, how breaches of trust damage not just the relationship between two people, but the whole trust that a church is based on. And so in churches where misconduct has happened, you, you see 30 years later issues of mistrust between a board of trustees and a minister, or a congregation and a board of trustees, or a minister and staff. These things go on and on and on. So we address them. But we come into this place with says that we can do big things, we can make the world better, and even in the face of every reason to believe otherwise, we will go on lighting a chalice. Somebody asked about the history of the chalice. And I know I've told this story, but I think it illustrates everything else in this sermon. late 30s, the Unitarian Service Committee formed. It's now the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, the USC. And one of the things that they did in those early years was they sent over aid workers to Europe to get Jewish refugees out of Europe and to safety. And they found, as they were doing that, that they needed to forge paper And when you forge papers, you need some kind of official-looking sign. So the UU, or the then USC, commissioned a, a Dutch artist to put together an official-looking seal that at the time was not official at all, but would look official enough to get through Nazi checkpoints. And what he came up with was a chalice with a He said, it, it looks like a cross, but it's not a cross. And it's a flame of, of hope. And so they used that for, for years. And in the aftermath of the war, the 
Unitarians decided that that would become their And then when the Unitarians and the Universalists merged, we decided that that would become the symbol of the new merged Unitarian Universalist Association. And then we decided to take what had been just an image and make it tangible and bring chalices into our sanctuaries and light them at the beginning of our service. This is a symbol of sanctuary. This is a symbol that you are sacred. And it's a symbol that, to me, says, we're going to keep lighting it, even if it's 1930s in Germany. We have hope in the world, even when hope is hard to find. The Unitarian Service Committee is now the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. And they are still doing that work. They, uh, Three days ago, um, I got an email from the president of our association, Susan Frederick Grant, here at UN, I'll talk about her, and the head of the service committee, asking clergy to gather um, on the southern border at the beginning of August, to gather and to carry water out into the border. There's an organization that the service committee has worked with for the last several years called No More Death. They provide medical care and water and triage along the southern border. And in the last several months, several of them have been arrested. Several of their volunteers have been arrested. And so the service committee, in conjunction with No More Deaths, has put out a call for clergy to come gather in the desert and engage in civil disobedience along the border. So about, right now, about 60 of us are going. That number is growing daily. We'll be there, I'll be there representing this congregation. But we'll have Unitarian Universalists throughout the entire country showing up to say, this is wrong. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> Not a world that is 
magical, but a world that can be built with human hands. It doesn't descend on high, like Jerusalem, but it is built by us, by the, the work of generations, each making the world a little bit better. Chances are none of us in this room are going to see it, but we're all going to be 